Well, welcome to uh, the Dave and Peg podcast, uh, Unveiled. Yeah. And we are on a series. What are we unveil? I think we're we're unveiling we're unveiling the world of psychedelics, right? Yeah, now. we're we're uh, this is a hot topic in 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 culture and uh, in research and and uh, in particularly mental health hey, fields. Can, yeah, I, I wasn't yeah. expecting to interrupt you this quickly, but I, I could do that quickly. Sure. Uh, the last week, um, Tim Ferriss did an episode oh on goodness. his podcast where he talked about. His uh, his trauma as a child. I've mm-hmm. never heard him talk so personally, and and the healing that psychedelics were part of his healing, yeah. and notably, I think his experience with ayahuasca and the meditation retreat of Jack Cornfield. Point being, I want folks listen to yes. that podcast. Yes. It might be the best I've maybe ever heard to give a a full understanding of trauma, its effects on our lives. Uh, and notably in his pockets, it's sexual trauma. So that's not going to be everybody's story. But at one point, the woman he was doing the, the podcast with says, we're talking about an experience that's hitting anywhere between one-third and one-sixth of the entire human race. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, She's like, one in three girls have experienced sexual uh, assault or sexual abuse before or the rape. Age, before the age of 18. Holy crap. You just think about the millions of people that were, that, 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 that kind of study, that, I mean, that kind of well, numbers. Billion? Yeah, like I'm, I'm doing the math in my head right now. Half the human race is female-ish. That's three and a half billion, and a third of them have had been sexually assaulted. We're talking over a billion human beings. Yeah. Now that might not be everyone's story, but enough that we have to be talking yeah. about this. Anyways, yeah. it's a brilliant podcast. I, 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 it's two and a half hours long. It's, yeah, it's, it's long. Tim Ferriss talking with a good friend. Her name is Debbie. She has. She's also uh, of, of has been has experienced sexual abuse growing up, and she has not done psychedelics. She talks about her journey using you know cognitive behavioral therapy for twenty to thirty years, right? To finally getting her stable. yeah two different paths, right? And I I like that he honored both. He yeah. says, listen, I'm not saying psychedelics is for everyone, but I'm saying this holds absolute promise mm-hmm. of. And what he was so clear about was not to help you to heal you, to fully heal you from an event that has maybe been the most damaging event in your entire life, that doesn't have to be the marker for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, it's not what our podcast is. No, but, I, but you're right. Thank I, you for I bringing it up. Like we said, that, we, it's a week old. It's going, it's going to be, people will be talking about it for viral. the next... Yeah. This will be the podcast that... So you'll, you'll hear it from us. Dave and Peg talked about this podcast by Tim Ferriss. Mark my words, I listen to hours of podcasts every day. This is probably the most intimate, vulnerable podcast I've ever heard in my life. I've listened to thousands of hours of podcasting. So please go listen to this. Yeah, it's episode 464, Tim Ferriss, My Healing Journey After Childhood Abuse. So anyways, yeah. you're talking about, okay, yeah. we're, last week we framed, you know, Lori's story around uh, uh, the, the Theracil, uh, anxiety, End very, of life anxiety, very mental health kind yeah. of focused, which is good. And you and I got talking about, <clears throat> it, it's it's very Western mm-hmm. in yeah. its construction. We're we're part of the Western mindset, yeah. so it fits my mindset. Yeah. Right? Therapies involved, yeah. you got sessions, and, you're pay, paying and counselors. Re- and university and, studies, yes. right? You got to do Canada's phase one, involved. phase two, phase three. When we Once we decide efficacy and safety, then we move on to this. And, and I love that, right? Yeah. That I feel very safe in that 
kind of mm-hmm. framework. It's my framework. Double blind studies. All of that, right? Psilocybin and MDMA. And, and you could almost, like, it's almost like we discovered psychedelics. It's so right. crazy, Peg. You yeah. could almost, there's a hubris that's kind of part of the vernacular when you get into it. Like, look at us. Look what we discovered. Yeah. It helps trauma. Oh, look, it helps this. And there's there's really a humility that must come in that we're talking about something that has been part of of indigenous culture, mm. indigenous spirituality, yeah. indigenous healing, and we're all indigenous yeah. in our ancestors. Somewhere. So yeah. back, back, eventually we're indigenous, that psychedelics have been used uh, in that framework for millennia. Thousands millennia, of years. Right? At least, we, we have a record of at least 10,000 or more years. Some of the earliest cave drawings in southern France have, have uh, etchings of huge mushrooms of people yeah, using them right. as, as religious and art. The earliest artwork is of mushrooms. Just start Googling this stuff. You, we're not, this isn't like some kind of weird sci-fi channel about the aliens. It's like this is just straight <laughs> archaeology that these uh, psychedelic plants, these, these uh, mind-altering substances that our planet naturally produces in all sorts of forms. It's not just magic mushrooms. There's LSD, which is from the ergot plant, which is also a fungi. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of... And MDMA is based on a, another plant yeah. that has psychedelic that they've, uh, they've brought from a tree. Right. DMT is a product in, a, in actually every living thing. If, if, uh, I'd, we are talking about Tim Ferriss' yeah. podcast. A movie that I would recommend to everyone, including families, is called Fantastic Fungi. Mm, and, yes. And it's available for download online. Uh, it's, it is one of the most inspiring, vis- uh, from a video point of view, oh, beautiful photograph. photography. Just outstanding. And it, Peg, I consider myself fairly knowledgeable in the mm-hmm. subject. I watch Fantastic Fungi, which is really more about mushrooms and fungi than it is about yeah it's not psychedelics is like five percent right it's like this the whole kingdom of fungi there's animals there's plants and then there's fungi there's three kingdoms i only i only grew up with two right animals and plants they're great we're part of the animal then there's plenty questions there's another whole kingdom that's bigger than both combined and older it's way older. It's actually 800 million years older than the plants and the animals. Right. So can you think about that? Here's this organism that's been alive this and life working. Form, right, this right. life form yeah. it's been alive on this planet a billion years longer than are even any of the DNA from plants or animals have right. been here. Right. That blows my mind. Right. What's, how did you? How have you evolved and adapted for that many years? Right. Like, wow. And, and it, yeah, it survived all, yes. everything the planet in its... Its development has thrown at Ice it. age, fine. We can live in ice. Right. How about thermal heat? That's 400 degrees, you know, above. Fine, we can grow in that. Right. Like thermal, they found fungi growing at the bottom of the ocean in these, these thermal vents where this lava comes out. We can grow there. What about radiation? Oh, we can, we can adapt and we can eat radiation as fuel. A fungi can do that. So this what? movie, fantastic fungi. I absolutely recommend. Okay, let's let yeah, me okay, focus. Bring it back. Time to focus. So yeah. we're we're interested in kind of not the Western model, which we're going to be talking lots about as we move along this year. Documentaries yeah. largely about that. But one of the interviews that you you had was with this woman named Francois Berzat, and wow. we'll we'll play at some point part of her interview. But I, I you know, I got to say, Peg, you've shown such an interesting level of kind of you you feel compelled to this mm, spiritual yeah. story around psychedelics and that's really what the, the indigenous story is all about yeah. is how these medicines have been used for a long time to be really the healing agents 
within within the indigenous society yeah, as far yeah, as I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah Francois Brissette to me, um, you know, she has she has a book uh, called Consciousness Medicine. Consciousness Medicine. I, I would say um, out of all of the I don't know how many books I've read on this in the last four years, it has had one of the more profound impacts because it's very practical. It's 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 about uh, kind of learning to be a guide, learning to hold space for people that are going through these kinds of journeys, and it's really about drawing from her experience in the Mazatec tradition in Mexico that have been using these plants documented historically at least for six hundred years. Okay, now, when you say plants, get, so we'll talk about these okay. plants. So yeah, fungi. So they they use they use so psilocybin mushrooms. Psilocybin mushrooms, yes. And um, what about philosophy uh, condensus mushrooms? Yeah. Um, mescaline uh, at all? No, that primarily the mushroom tradition okay, okay. In, is in is in the in kind of so these are the Aztecs. So our first, so I, I read her, encountered her, and I thought, ooh, right, of course, all these ethnobotanists, whether it's Dennis McKenna and and Paul Stamets and and uh, you know all these ethno Wade Davis, all these ethnobotanists that are finding medicines for for like planting plants for medicines. In the 60s and 70s, they're journeying into the Amazon, finding like, oh, we found that this has this thing. We can, we got a lab here, and we can find and 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 find the molecule that's going to help people with this X, Y, and Z. Maybe right. all of our plants, or yeah. you know, uh, these plants have potential. So this this tradition that Francois Brissette represents and has trained in has been using these mushrooms for in healing ceremonies. For uh, at least, again, documented at least 600, they, they say it's been thousands, but our first record, and again, it's hard with these history, but our first record is from a Spanish, uh, one of the Spanish um, uh, captains that came in explorers, and yeah. the explorers landed in kind of Brazil area. I want to say Vasco de Gama. Yeah, who, who knows, <laughs> I'm right? drawing from grade eight history here. I remember that name. And they land and they come to this Aztec, you know, they find these big civilizations and thriving communities and they're, you know, realizing all this stuff is in gold, whatever. And they began to write, it's like 1513, and he, they, they begin to write about this ceremony. And they said, they're using this interesting plant. It's a type of mushroom. They grind it up. They drink it. They have these kind of, they have these uh, uh, shamans that help people in this experience and you know and so they're writing this down in 1513 right. we're coming across this and this is what we're noticing about this tribe of people that are using these medicines so you're saying that's that's the first time it shows up in some sort of historical documentation in, in western literature western right? literature yeah, yeah. Western but, literature. so uh, I, I, let me bridge things a little yeah. bit sorry I kind of forgot to do this at the start but uh, so Johns Hopkins University has, has really been I think recognized as maybe the school that's done the most expansive research on on the psilocybin mushrooms. Yeah. I mean, other schools, Imperial College, UCLA, have done it as well. But I, I mean, I, I, I'm most aware of Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. One of the top guys there is a guy named Bill Richards. And w- at some point, we'll do uh, talk about your interview with Bill Richards. But he's, he talks about a very interesting phenomena, that they, they interview people afterwards about the kinds of experiences they had while they were under the influence of their psilocybin trip. Yeah, so a six-hour journey yeah. for them, for these and, people. Yeah. And they, they were able to determine... That when a person had what we what might be defined as a mystical yeah let's talk about that because they use they quantify that with science which is really weird concept. okay well they need like a yeah. mystical spiritual experience yes. so these are these are people that afterwards they'd say this I had this kind of experience and they're able to like are you saying they're able to like code it yeah there's a metric there's a it's a forty a forty question you can download it it's a forty question questionnaire from zero to five rate the rate your experience under these forty questions right. And 
Um, and so the researchers began to try to like, what what's going on? And the people are quant- kind of writing out their experiences in like, you know, six or seven pages after. And they're going, hmm, what's the, what are the themes that are emerging with all of this right, research, right. right? So, you know, it's not just the people who've done this experience from the 60s and 70s that, you know, that were not in a, in a controlled environment. What about all these controlled environments? People that come from whatever religious tradition. I'm atheist. I'm Jewish. I'm Christian. I'm Hindu. I'm Buddhist. Is there anything? I'm male. You, I'm female. I'm from here. Matter. I'm from there. I'm old. I'm young. Yeah. Right. What happens? Is there any kind of unifying thing that happens? And they were looking for the, the thread that unites all of these different cultural backgrounds and all these different people. Is there an experience that they all would say, I had that, and someone just lights up in a group and says, I had that too. Oh, I saw that too. Well, in his That's book, an interesting he, concept. He wrote, a, he wrote a book called Sacred Knowledge. You, you yeah. put me onto it. I really like it. Yeah. And he, did, he actually, I think... Uh, is able to identify six categories mm-hmm. of experience. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, and yeah. we'll talk about that someday. Yeah. It's really interesting. But when you have this specific one kind of those six experiences, if I understand it, Peg, that's correlated to with with folks with anxiety and death, uh, with the with the sort of um, experiences we talked about last yeah. week with Laurie Brooks. So, a person facing a life threatening disease, and they have the psilocybin journey. When they have this profound mystical experience they achieve they become symptom free 100% of the time yeah i mean think about what i just said yeah when when during the so the the numbers are pretty good it's like 80 to 85% yeah. of people that go through this experience drop their anxiety right, depression they're, they're fully now they're gone. now symptom free yeah. but when they have this this mystical spiritual experience during their experience they're symptom free every single time. Right. There's then and that is like what? That's the holy grail for research. I think so. They're like what what what? There's what? a variable here that yes. we've identified is kind of the it's the magic bullet. It's the it's the red pill from the matrix. It's yeah. the it's the it's that one piece. And when you heard that, I remember this yeah. when you heard this you went, "What? What? Now I'm interested." Yes. Yes. So as I got interested in that, I'm like, first of all, what is this metric you're using? What, you know, some scales, a mystical experience right, scale. Right, out of, right. What kind of questions are you asking? Um, and then I, you know, in my conversation with Bill Richards and Francoise and others, I've asked about this thing. I said, what, what is this? I mean, you can't just put this out there and say, hey, 100% of the time when people hit this state, we can actually quantify it and we can actually... Res- they get positive it, outcomes on there. And it's 100% of the time their life shifts in such a dramatic way. So what is that? No, that's how, how does that happen? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What are the, how do we get people to have that experience? And what is it? And people describe it and, and, and we can get into some of the, the you know, what is that mystical or, th- or that spiritual experience. But at the end of the day, doesn't matter what tradition these people are from. doesn't matter what spirituality they're from, whether they even believe in God. It has no... That doesn't matter at all in, in the outcome of this. What happens is a, a, a powerful sense that there's a transcendent reality to the nature of the universe, that the world that you live in inside your head is not all there is, that the thoughts and feelings and the things that come up inside of you is just part of your lived experience, that there is another reality that your consciousness can be aware of that is outside of just what you see here in the physical realm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that... That's crazy. You know, Roland Griffiths, who's I, I think is one of the most respected scientists in the world. He was he was the National Science Advisor 
under Ford, maybe he was he like he's he's one of the most respected scientists in the world. Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. He's been involved in the studies of Johns, Johns Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah. And he gives a TED Talk, absolutely encourage people to look up Roland Griffith's TED Talk, where he challenges the scientific community, saying, we have, by, uh, by a priori decision, have said that we can only study that which falls under the, the framework of the Newtonian, mm-hmm. uh, Newtonian physics. Yeah. And spiritual experiences don't fit under that. Yeah. So we're saying they're not real. And he said, he's saying, we are now no longer scientists if we are being so biased as to ignore the experience. And I think in this TED Talk, he says, the experience of 95% of every human being who has ever lived has a sense of something beyond themselves, has a sense of, and has had experiences, real life experiences of paranormal, mystical, strange, anything in that bucket. Religious, whatever. And he said, and we as scientists... If we call that consciousness, if we scientists said we can't study that because we we don't know how to measure it, he says, shame on us. We are not scientists. But for the first time, we now have, in psychedelics, we have a substance that can allow us to actually study this. Yes. And and we can access this state. Right. And we can try to understand it. Yes. Right? Which is the brilliance of the Western model. I'm not saying the Western model is wrong. So, yeah, you know, I think that that's a huge... A shift going from this kind of Western model um, that says you give a pill, you get this outcome, and all of a sudden we have this substance, this 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 plant um, that you can take. But when it's and this is why Francois, and they're going back at back, back, getting back to Francois Brissette. She is being brought into some of these studies now, so she's trained by shamans. Let's just be really straight. Oh, hold on. Okay, that's not completely accurate. What she's partially trained by Sean. Yes, okay, She's you're right. also so, trained yeah. in a Western model. She this is why both. I like yeah, her. Yeah. She's the bridge, right? Which yeah. I think is important. So, yes, she's a, she's a, a woman, uh, I think, uh, from Europe. and yeah, France, yeah. Yeah, classically trained in psychology, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If I'm yeah. getting that right? Yeah. yeah. And then she went from San Francisco. She was in San Francisco and was drawn to... Yeah. Uh, she met For a 20 person. years. She's re- met a person. Yeah. She ended up in this, in this uh, really... Apprenticeship yeah. in uh, in Mexico, in Mexico. Under, where, and, and so and so she she learned how they held space for people and what it meant to take people on a journey with this with this medicine. Isn't it amazing that that the these shaman mm-hmm. and I, I really just pick I call it the shaman stream, but these shaman have been doing this for a long, long time, mm-hmm. long enough so that they have their best practices mm-hmm. to use Western yeah, yeah. They've got their protocols. I had a chance to interview Francois Berzet for a documentary series that I'm working on. And we chatted for a couple hours and I want to share with you just a few clips from that conversation that I think are pertinent to what we're talking about today. So here is uh, my conversation with Francois Berzet. This conversation is starting to getting into the pop culture psyche of, of the average mm-hmm. person in North America. Mm-hmm. They're starting to hear words like psilocybin and mushrooms, and they may have had you know you know conjuring ideas of like maybe a medical model or even maybe something from the '60s. But not a lot of people are aware that there's these ancient thousands of thousands of year old traditions that have existed all over our planet. So kind of walk us into the one that you know and how you discovered uh, what they how they use this beautiful mushroom. The uh, Mazatec are descendant of the Maya 
And they are a tribe, just like the Aztec or the Toltec or the Olmecs, right? The, uh, one of the tribes existing in southern Mexico. This one is in southern Mexico. And they have uh, practiced the art of uh, the sacred mushroom ceremony for thousands of years. And the uh, beauty of being part of this, um, of this uh, tribe or being invited and, and, uh, and, and taught by this tribe is that um, this is an unbroken lineage. It has never been broken. It has never been uh, eradicated. It has been certainly, um, how should I say, oppressed by uh, the Spaniards who arrived in Mexico in the 1500, but it has never been really eradicated. And so it has continued to uh, persist through the ages. And the Mazatec uh, originally, before the Christians came around, and still now have a lot of practices having to do with the seasons and the new corn and the, the rain and the moons. And um, so they have a lot of shamanistic and animistic principles of relying on the spirit of the land and uh, the spirit of the mountain and the spirit of the water. So they have a lot of that uh, very earth-based wisdom and tradition that is embedded in their practices. And um, so they, they conduct ceremonies with mushrooms in the rainy season, uh, which is between June and late September. Um, sometimes, uh, if lucky, they find some fresh mushrooms also in the winter, but there's a dry season during which there's no mushrooms uh, and during which they use other things because they have other sacred plants there. They have morning glories and salvia divinorum, so they're never short of uh, remedies and uh, sacred, uh, sacred ceremonies. And so this uh, tradition has been, um, yeah, existing and uh, alive and very concretely practiced and anchored into the land and into the community and into the way the Mazatec, uh, you know, think of and are with the topic of the sacred and, and the, the wisdom of the earth. What motivated you to write Consciousness Medicine? Uh, it, it's really come on the scene as a, a beautiful um, guidebook. You know, really, it's almost like a, it feels uh, like, a, like a handbook, both for a journeyer and for a guide. But what, what motivated you to say, I think I need to put some of my, my thinking down on paper? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I had been I had been speaking a lot about this method uh, to a lot of guides that I have uh, trained over over 25 years. I've trained psychedelic guides because I feel like it was a strong responsibility for me to be able to educate people, to educate therapists, um, people who had been to Mexico with me and had a strong understanding of the of the psyche. Um, some palliative care physicians, some uh, oncologists, some a, a lot of psychologists. Everybody was was a psychologist that I trained, and so I had been. Um, uh, creating a narrative around this uh, arc, around this method, around this way of thinking of this uh, of this medicine and the care and and context and support and preparation and integration that I wanted to uh, uh, teach and pass on from my own understanding and what I have gathered from my teachers. And so I felt like after doing that for so many years, I was invited, in fact, to teach at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, a class on expanded states of consciousness and psychotherapy. So it was uh, essentially teaching uh, therapists how to um, 
obtain or cultivate an intelligence um, around the fact that some of their clients might be doing psychedelics or might be doing breath work or might be doing meditations or might be doing sweat lodges of different rituals of expanding consciousness. And I felt that the therapist should gain uh, great knowledge in understanding about expanded states and how to best support those states uh, in their clients. So it was not so much as to give people mushrooms, of course, it's not legal, but more to um, have have a context and have a, a capacity and tools and skills to be able to support their own clients as they go through those experiences. So I felt it's time. I've, I've done that for so long in a different context. And now I want to bring it out. So um, as you know, psychedelics are going back into the conversation, there's a destigmatization, there is a a different uh, a different dialogue around those uh, those compounds and possibilities of treatment of course and also a curiosity from the public especially after Michael Pollan's book um, that came back on board so to speak people really um, want information and want uh, safety and want uh, some expertise from people in the field who have been doing this for so long and you know um, I mean I know there are underground therapists everywhere you know we know they exist people are um, helping one another in ways, you know, uh, that they feel uh, is possible. But because I have been to Mexico and I have really been able to um, participate in ceremonies in a legal structure with my teacher, um, participate myself as well as uh, participate and collaborate with her, I was able to really put in paper all my 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 thoughts and knowledge and observation. Um, so it gave me really the capacity to articulate that and make it available to others. You know, you, you don't shy away in your book and in every time that I've you know heard you talk, you don't sh shy away from using language of spirit. And I'm really glad about that. I think a lot of, um, a lot of the, the science-based, you know, literature is, is really nervous about moving into that realm because mm -hmm. they want to keep it like we are looking at, uh, you know, beta waves in the brain and we're looking at serotonin levels and we're looking at, you know, the 5H2A receptor in the neurotransmitters and, you know, and that, that's all real and good and I'm glad we're doing that. But you are saying <coughs> opening of spirit exploring spirituality you're there's a divine messenger like the way you talk is you don't shy away from that and here you are you're speaking at berkeley you're talking to physicians you're talking you know um what's the reaction when you use language of spirit that seems to be outside of the medical language that a lot of these therapists and people have been traditionally used first of all why are you insistent on that and number two what's the reaction what what happens when you talk like this I insist on this because because that's the message I got from the Mazatec. I mean, if I'm going to talk about, if I'm going to, uh, I don't know, be a messenger, a humble messenger for the some of the Mazatec language, I'm going to talk about spirit. I'm going to talk about love. I'm going to talk about safety and care and human connection. I'm going to talk about the great invisible because that's what they say. And I'm not going to pretend not to speak their voice and you know, put myself in the 
in in a certain on the shelf with the scientist, which is great. I mean, it's a great shelf. Except I have something else to add. It's not instead of. It's a more like an addition. I, I I respect, like I said, I respect everything they do and how they do it and what they must do to fit into the science. But I think that, in the same way, you know, that there was a time in the medical system where meditation started to be acknowledged as a practice as a skill as a, a tool for healing for people to be less stressed less um you know having less digestive problem less breathing problem less migraine right i mean we know that meditation has become part of the medical establishment it's almost like you can go to a meditation course at kaiser and it's covered by your insurance so the, the, the possibility of having different language come into the medical field has proven to be existing and true and potent and, if, and efficient. So we are doing another step in that direction by saying, yes, if we use psychedelic, we are indeed dealing with materials that are, in fact, connecting with spirit, connecting with another dimension. We can call it whatever. We can call it the other side. We can call it the matrix. We can call it... Um, uh, God, we can call it uh, the sacred, we can call it anything. But as human beings, everybody relates to the word spirit or sacred. Everybody. I mean, when I was talking with Sam Harris uh, not too long ago, you know, he's known to be pretty, uh, you know, well, tough on the language, you know, um, which I appreciate, you know, his exactitude of language. And, you know, there was, a, there was a way that, yeah, we as human beings, we cannot erase the word sacred or the word spirit from our vocabulary and pretend it doesn't exist in the way we do what we do and the endeavors we do. So I will speak of spirit and I will speak of the sense of the sacred. And many people are doing this uh, alongside with me um, and to rehabilitate the sacred in the field of medical science, since it's already happening anyway. What a great line to, to rehabilitate the word sacred in medical science. I, you know, what a beaut. I mean, at the end of the day, they're healers, right? I mean, these people go into medicine yeah. I mean, my, my, my brother is a physician and they go in because he wants to heal people, right? That's right. That's and and yet right. you kind of get, you get lost sometimes in the, in the medicalization of it. It goes back to that inner drive of yeah. inside you, you're a healer, you know? And so this is, and that's a sacred yeah. act. Healing is sacred. Our that's bodies right. are sacred. That's right. That's right. And it really, um, you know what 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 connects us ultimately in spirit in, in speaking of the collective is really the sense of solidarity how as a human family we want to help one another in the depth of our heart we want to help one another the physician and the researchers they want to help people um the mazatec they want to help people the you know the the nurses and doctors putting themselves on the line with covid you know they want to help people there's a a human sense of goodness that we want to help one another and we we see that in states of you know emergencies or disasters how people really show up for one another in in wonderful ways so i think there's human spirit you know the human um generosity and solidarity is really what what uh is the uh, impetus behind all this research and all this uh, all this world of psychedelics and especially this uh bringing solace and bringing support and bringing um, uh, a sense of uh, release to people at the end of life. 
be. Like the people that do, <clears throat> that, that have the, the courage, the inner courage to face these deep issues that, that they want to resolve before they die, that takes the deepest courage that a human can muster. It's, it's harder than facing any external fear. You know, it's the, it's the internal ones. It's our internal demons. It's those internal dark moments inside of us. They're the hardest to face. And so a person that has the courage to face fear, I, I think is, uh, it, it's, the, it's the most important journey any of us can do. That's right. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of boldness. It takes a lot of uh, desperation sometimes. It takes a lot of faith. And, and that's when a human hand and a human heart and a human skill uh, is really important. It's hard to do that alone. It's hard to go into this uh, journey alone. I mean, ultimately, we, we go into this journey of death alone and we go into this journey of the mushroom alone inside. There is really, this is confronting oneself and one's shadow and one unresolved material. And no, nobody can do it for us, right? Nobody can be in our skin and feel what we feel. But when there is a hand and there is someone with compassion and well-trained next to um, this process, it's a real, it's a real uh, solid container that provides the, uh, the, the courage, really, the courage to, to take the step forward when an, another human being is holding hands and, and the space. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you talk about um, there's no bad trips. There's, there's, there's important trips, there's <laughs> difficult trips. Um, because, and I, and I, and I, and I hope you know, I'm framing it properly. I think the reason you're saying that in, in your book is that when it's contained in the tradition of community and, uh, you know, a proper guide and there's proper set and setting, everything that comes up is, is kind of grist for the mill is part of the conversation. It's really important. Mm -hmm. There's no, mm -hmm. and, and I think. I, I want you to talk about why the container of how you do this kind of experience is so important. It's not about grabbing a mushroom and just kind of going off on your own and trying this thing out. You've never maybe done any internal work. That would be terrifying <coughs> for some people. So can you talk about why every trip is actually could be a good trip when it's done in the right context? Mm -hmm. Yes, the right context, meaning... A, a, a strong intentionality, a, um, a respect for the medicine, a respect for the inner space that can open up, a, um, a respect for, you know, the material that can emerge, that can be uh, challenging, um, the connection with the guide, uh, optimally, if that's, the, if that's the possibility, you know, having a guide who is... Um, skilled and who knows the territory themselves and who has been there understands how hard it can be or beautiful it can be or magical or mysterious or mystifying you know having someone who has gone through these different layers of possibilities i mean it's it's infinite we don't know we, we don't know what anybody will go through there's an infinite uh, of course uh, nuances of the of the journeys but yeah uh, a journey can be uh, very challenging and that's why people call it bad trip because either they don't have the context or the intention or the container um, they don't have set and setting and they don't have you know um, 
uh, a context. Why do they do what they do and, and where and with whom and um, uh, how serious are they to their personal inner space that will open up? Uh, and this is a radical opening of the inner space. This is this is not some, I mean, depending on the dosage, but you know, this is not something that can be uh, backpedaled, uh, backtracked. Once you're on, you're on and you have to wait it out or be there for the five hours of the experience. And so it's better to have a good setup. And people who have bad trips are people who don't have a good setup, who don't have a good support, who don't have a good intentionality or, or who don't have the skilled uh, support afterwards to make sense of what they went through, to make sense of the difficulty, the, the hard things they went through, the pain they felt, the images they saw, the discomfort they felt, the, the fear they came across. Um, if someone can connect those experiences, like connect the dots with the intention or the situation that the person was in prior to the journey, then it makes sense and it becomes this rich, meaningful, fruitful experience that one can really draw from an amazing amount of empowerment and liberation. But until it's sort of decoded or debriefed, um, it remains a mysterious, strange, weird mistake. And people are very um, frightened and, and disheartened and uh and, and rightfully so, disconnected from the medicine, which is actually probably a good idea because if they do medicine in that way, it's better that they don't. Um, but I, I remember uh, talking with uh, some people uh, about their bad trip and how, um, in my eyes, how significant the narrative was. And now I was like, wow, that seems like a really interesting journey. I remember saying that to Sam Harris, right? Wow, that seems like a really meaningful experience. I wish you had had someone to talk to because it's a, it looks like it was really potent and, and, and full of meaning, but you would have had to have some support around this to understand. Uh, because someone who has been in the territory, speaks the language and knows the terrain can make sense of just about everything. I think that what you just said at the end there is really insightful. <clears throat> using this, they're using this image of a map, of a guide who's been down these paths. If you think of a jungle or a mountain forest where you're dropped into and you feel absolutely lost, but someone all of a sudden pulls out of their pocket uh, a map, uh, uh, you know, and says, "Okay, here's the trail. Here's how we're going to get through this thick forest." And you're walking with a guide who knows that territory. That then you can kind of relax and say, "Okay, we don't have to feel lost." A bad trip is people that feel lost because they have no markers, they have no guide with them, yes. no no map, you yes. know. And I think that's yes. what a, a bad trip is: is someone who's lost without a guide. Right. Right. Now, being lost in a journey is an interesting experience in and of itself. Being, being, being lost, disoriented, not knowing, not understanding is a very interesting experience if it is connected with how meaningful it is in real life afterwards. So being lost in a journey, yeah. I mean, I've been lost in journeys. I've been disoriented. I've been afraid. I've been like panicked in journeys. Well, good. 
because all these feelings that were sitting inside me got expressed and got experienced in the journey. They got up to the surface, to my awareness. And I was glad I was actually unburdening some panic and being lost and disoriented. That was part of my childhood experience, really. And so I was actually feeling what my inner child couldn't feel then. So I'm glad I retraced those experiences and memories. But you see, someone made sense of that afterwards. Someone told me, yeah, well, that was your childhood. That was the reality of your childhood. Oh, yeah, right. I was like, yeah, so now you know what your child felt. And more power to you to recover the experience of the child and be here as an adult to hold it and to welcome it and to cradle it as a, <clears throat> as a guide, as a healer, as a parenting of your inner child. So, yeah, it is real. You were panicked and, and really frightened during the journey. And more power to you. You know, so it's all a matter of it's all a matter of context and contextualizing and and it's not an interpretation. It's more like connecting the dot of the reality of the journey and how how much it makes sense for the person's psyche. Yeah, obviously with with the pandemic, there's a moment in our planet where mm -hmm. everything's stopping mm -hmm. and consciousness mm -hmm. is saying, Can we just stop and get off this 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 tra you know, this train right now? Yeah. And yeah, with yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement of, of people saying, yeah. we're, we're timing out, we're stopping this. This the idea yeah, that yeah, our yeah. frameworks yeah. are built on power structures that are just mm -hmm. that are destructive. Mm -hmm. Our consciousness mm -hmm. is saying, no, this planet no mm -hmm. longer wants to work on these systems of oppression. Yeah. So in the midst yeah. of this, you and I are having this conversation right now, Francoise, about how do we help people live better, more holistic, connected lives? Yeah. It's not just, this isn't just chance that you and I are meeting like this and talking about these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. This is, a, this is an important, potent, uh, pregnant moment, as we say. Huh? And we see what baby we, we birth as a, as a humanity here. Uh, we have been connected through this pandemic and still are. Um, we have been realizing we're really one family and things are affecting one, one, one country affects the other country, or <clears throat> even if we live far away, we really realize we are so interdependent. Um, and then we are so interdependent uh, with the Black Lives Matter uh, that is, you know, worldwide now. It's not just a, you know, it's not just an American uh, one city or two cities. It's, I mean, it would be okay if it was just one city also, but now it's a really, uh, it's a worldwide movement of uh, equality and women equality, people of color equality, minorities equality. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a movement for equality for, for the human being to really see each other as equal, as, as, as brothers and sisters. Huh? So, um, yeah, well, mushrooms can really, uh, bring people into a level of oneness. This is also the connectedness that Mushroom can really uh, teach us, huh? that we are really one, that we are really children of this planet. We are all together on this earth, equal. Uh, we, we made the same, we born the same, we fed the same, and uh, I mean, of the same earth. Uh, of course, we fed differently and in different uh, abundance, depending on where we are, of course. Uh, <clears throat> but we are all of this of this mother, right? So how do we create uh, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, since we are of the same mother? Um, I love that. That's that that is that is a, a, a beautiful it's a beautiful hope for for our future. And so I, I love mm -hmm. that we're mm -hmm. on this journey together. 
Um, maybe la last thing is here, and, and I don't I don't know if you would do this or or how you feel about this, but um, you know I'm I'm thinking you know that this documentary started as a, a tribute to my friend Lori, uh, who's who's uh, has terminal cancer, um, and she has had this a beautiful mushroom experience that that really changed her life and healed her family and and she has no fear of death now. Um, and mm. she just, she, she really thanks those who've gone before her therapists and others who've learned from you to give her this experience. She wanted me to say thank you to you for, for mm. opening up this experience for her to have mm. in life. And there's just a deep peace. Mm. She's reconnected with mm. her four grown children in a, in a beautiful healing way and just mm. is living each moment, you know? And so I just thought, I don't know if it's appropriate, but I don't know if it's appropriate, but would you kind of give her a blessing? You know, and it, it, it could be yes. for Lori, but it could be for all of these people that might be watching this, mm -hmm. um, people mm -hmm. who are maybe in end of life situations, maybe they're just facing trauma. But, you know, mm -hmm. with that, with Lori in mind, do you mind just giving her a little bit of a blessing? Of course. Well, dear Lori, I am uh, touched by your story. I am uh, sorry for your situation of course, as a mother, as a woman, as a human being. And I am also extremely touched that you have been graced by the mushrooms that you've been graced by. Um, it's a blessing, it's a gift, it's a balm, it's solace, and that you can go on to the next phase of your soul journey in, uh, in, with a smile, with a happy heart, and with a uh, open open hands to the next uh, next step of your journey and uh, and I wish that uh, your story can really inspire the world and other people to um, make this medicine available and so other people can feel as free and as fearless as you are indigenous medicines are embedded in community in the context that they right you so live I, I right i grew yeah. up with you yeah. i have a relationship with you and now the ceremony and and the medicines are are vetted in that context i do have a i don't know an issue with like what are called voyeuristic psychedelics yeah. in the in that like oh, yeah. people kind of yeah. going to south Let's america go to peru and do ayahuasca and then how do i integrate that at home Right, I mean, the, yeah. and that comes to like I a very close friend, mm. where this exactly happened. Fifteen years ago, mm. he went and he had a he had a, a seven day ayahuasca experience in Peru that was life changing for mm -hmm. him. Right, it and he came back and he said my PTSD was gone. Mm. He said, Dave, I had a peace that I had never experienced. He had a he had an experience in the middle of it where a raven revealed in his in his visions yeah. revealed all the mysteries of the universe to him it was just overwhelming and powerful and six months later it was as if it never happened mm. it all went back down to zero and i you know i just like okay what's that about mm. right and i think it's because there's no relationship to the shaman there's you don't no land back into <coughs> a community of people that know you and can because what we were finding about psychedelics and this was there's a great podcast with, that came out last week with Francois Brissette and this, uh, and I talked about her. Her name's Ro Dr. Rosalind something. Watts. Dr. Yeah, Rosalind in, Watts. Yeah, in England. Yeah, yeah she's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, she's brilliant. And she's, she's doing the psychedelic research at Imperial College. Yeah, she's the number with, one. With Robin Cartwright Harris yeah. and all the FMI stuff yeah. and all that. You yeah. can Google that stuff. 
So she's on this podcast talking with Francois Brissette. And, the, and the, the interviewer is more like, I want to get you guys in an arena and talking about it. Very different. You come from very different yeah, angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More shamanistic tradition. Now working at UCLA, that's Brissette. Yeah. She's doing this on the UCLA studies. Yeah. And, and Rosalind is doing the Imperial College studies. And they have this conversation. And... You know, I've talked to you about it, but it was so interesting to watch. Like, Brissette comes with this beautiful, self-assured, like, just, you can just tell she has done this deep, intimate work. And she just has this calm presence. And she's talking about, you know, what we can do, this and that. And she's asking Rosalind about the studies. And Rosalind says, you know, one of the things we found was that we can give people these experiences, but um, in, the, in the clinic, we do this. And then we kind of check on them six months later and we see how they're doing. And, and a lot of them are like, man, I had a great six months, but the depression's starting to come back. Right, right. I'm having a tough right, time. Right, right, right. And I'm just feeling it. And 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 so Brzezette says back to her, okay, like, so how have you created a little community with these people so they could get to know each other and share their own stories and, and embed their lives so they're not just alone? Oh, I, so bl- I and, love that. And Rosalind's like, we don't have funding for that. That, you know how much funding... <laughs> By the way, what a great illustration yeah. of what we're talking yes. about. The limitations of the Western model, yes. which I love. Yes. And yet the really the much broader, wise yes. model of the indigenous uh, right. framework, right? Is is She just naturally goes, oh, oh, well, they have to be in community. Yes. Don't you see that? Like, that's the whole these point These aren't of, guinea pigs. Right. These aren't, these aren't lab rats. Right. These are actually, so what happens? Oh, sorry, right. it didn't work. Right. These are actual... And I get it. I'm not, yeah. not being no. critical of Rosalind. She has to work on funding, right? But I, that that's what a great illustration yeah. that, yeah. Peg, to show that... That's, and I guess that's where I, I wrestle a little bit with the, with the shamanist extreme because I'm not in... I don't live in those... You don't live in Peru. Right. And so maybe mm-hmm. one of the challenges to the Western model, exactly what Burzah is saying to Rosalind Watts, which is... You've got to create communities for people to land in, yes. right? They don't have to become best friends, but just like any spiritual community, any faith community, these are people that need to talk about their experience yeah. so they can collectively make sense of it yes. and begin to integrate it. And I think that's the word that's said so much. How can I integrate this experience in my life so that it's with me for the rest of my life, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, so for me, reading, in, in, you know, Consciousness Medicine um, by Brazat, that really began to, for me, push me into understanding these traditions have existed for thousands of years and every tradition, whether it's Siberia or the ancient Greeks, like all the, the Asinian, what Eusinian mysteries, they call it, the, the ancient Greeks um, would, would, would use this psychedelic substance in the midst of their a once a year ceremony at the top of, you know, in, in, in you, whatever it is, the top of at Athens there, there's the forum, you can go up to the top and whatever. And so, that's where their, their elders would have these experiences where they have these, these psychedelic experiences. And they're not just to get visions. These were inward looking. Like, these were always about doing your inward journey. Like, I always thought, like, when people say psychedelics, it's like, oh, you're seeing crazy stuff and you're tripping. And it's like, what you're doing is you're actually exploring, like an explorer would out in, I'm exploring the Amazon. You're exploring territory on the inside. Oh, absolutely, right. And so you're journeying down a river in a place that you, it's you, but you're exploring this journey on the inside. You're looking at your parts, the things that have formed you from your life. You're looking at all these things that have made, some of them may be massive, you know, like these, these events that have, but they're, they're all you. But you, as you, as you go down deeper and deeper, you know, there's this opportunity to confront these and, and integrate these things. Oh, I'm with yeah. you. And you know, just, I, I just have a thought while you're talking. I, I don't know if this is everyone's experience. I know it wasn't, but 
when I was in the church, the best moments for me were in worship, mm. right? And I know not everyone, you know, and maybe it's because I didn't grow up in the church, whatever. But, but for me, my my beautiful worship experiences weren't tied to, you know, whether I was living the good Christian life. They they were separate from that. It was like when I would have a profound spiritual experience during worship, and that's that's almost psychedelic, mm, right? Yeah. We were talking. Music. Fully right-brained, hypnotic. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about altered state. Yeah, absolutely. What? Maybe not psychedelic per se, although you might get breathing in a certain way. Oh, well, hey, could... I, I I talk to I talk to guys who've been in community churches in this valley and and who talk to me who are now experiencing psychedelics and they're saying, oh, I went to this church. This when church, I was at the vineyard, this yeah, happened. This right. Pentecostal. Okay. They said we were way open to right. experience and it was almost identical. Uh, it was kind of uncontained in in the sense yeah, of this inner Yeah, but... I, I, I sure we can we can absolutely see the the problems with some of that. And not everyone in my world loved their worship experiences. But I'm saying to you, what happened to me during those experiences mm. were some of my best Christian moments. And because in those moments, Peg, I felt actually individually known by God, mm. loved by God, by Jesus, mm. that He saw me. And he said, in those moments of worship, I was just going like, you know, my Jesus, I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm having this this absolutely unfettered moment of of adulation towards my my God. Mm-hmm. And what came back to me was this beautiful kind of uh, attachment level hug. Mm-hmm. I love you, Dave. Wow. You're my son, Dave. Mm-hmm. You're my child, Dave. And those are, you know, I could do with this, uh, the sermons I heard. Mm-hmm. Communion never did anything for me. Those sacraments, baptism, I never touched any of those sacraments mm-hmm. on an emotional level, but in worship I did. So I get it, mm-hmm. right? When people can have those experiences in a psychedelic journey, when, yeah. they, when they encounter something that we might call God or the, the divine yeah. or something beyond themselves, mm-hmm. whatever, and in that moment, it's my life feels like it has purpose that in a, the vastness of the I infinite feel universe i feel loved right i feel grounded i feel seen i right. feel known yes i feel that i have a name and and that this divine knows my name and is looking at me at the same time i can see the absolute infinity of the universe mm, the transcendent yeah and the it, imminent right in the right, same moment right in the yeah. same moment when that happens dude that's that's as good as any yeah. worship experience on steroids, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, so when you can have this mm. deeply spiritual experience, right? It it is it's transformative. But like we say, it's like you can't just leave people. Yeah, no, there. I, like, okay, what, I, I had this I, uh, great experience, but where do I land it? What does it mean? What does that mean? And I I think that's where um where the, where these people like for me, Francois Brissette, is encouraging these the creation of these communities. These, these these integrative communities, and so what what she's calling for is, hey, start societies, start start groups in your community. But as you do that, yes, advocate for you know the rights to use these plant medicines, and that's all great. But she says, allow these societies in your little towns, your little cities, wherever. Allow these societies to create integration circles. Mm, that's interesting for people because yeah. almost like little churches. Where people can make sense of these experiences and they can land them. And they, and they have can, shared, they have these shared they experiences, share them, right? Say, they could talk about yes. their shared experiences. Which, you know, when churches lose that, 
when churches lose that sense of mm-hmm. faith community that we're gonna we're joining together around something we've all experienced, yeah. right? They they no longer that's not a faith community. Yeah. And and how many? And I don't mean to be unnecessarily critical, but how many church communities are we aware of? where people grew up in the church but have never had an experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right it's just more of mm-hmm. like yeah I, you know i grew up here and my parents went here and, yeah. and you know i i pray and i read the bible and i i go to church and i tithe and i but i, I don't feel anything right it's not it's not something yeah. that's transformative vibrant, vibrant yeah, yeah. but but when you do have that vibrant you want to talk with other people yeah, about it yeah. it's like it's like naturally and you want especially if other people have had that experience you want to like yeah. right 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 you have yeah, that like yeah. that moment of like synergy of like we're on the we're on, we shared that together yeah. and that i think now what you're talking about there i think that's got yeah and i and so i i am into that community right yeah and i i am too and i think that's you know when i when i think about um when I think about the history of, of, of these medicines and I think about these histories of these plants and how they've been used, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area of knowledge I didn't know anything about prior to two, three years ago. And now using, you know, looking, studying archaeology and ethnobotany and all these kind of things and realizing, oh, the evidence is so, I mean, it's not, it's, not, it's a fact now. We know that all societies have used these psychedelic plants as a way to change their consciousness right. so that they can engage the realm of the spirit. And, and so, and I remember I was listening to this one guy and I, I, uh, and I, he's like the, one of the best names, his name's Rupert Sheldrake. Oh, I, just I do love, love that Rupert name. Sheldrake. I love it. Yeah, Rupert that's, Sheldrake. That's he's, a movie uh, name. That's great. Yeah, no, Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah, and he's, yeah. of course, he's from, you know, England. Um, yeah, I say I was going to guess Ireland. So. Yeah, yeah. Rupert Sheldrake. And, um, so he, he's a, a really fascinating guy. You can Google him and put it, put, but he, he's a, he's an Anglican. And um, he's done a lot of work with psychedelics, and uh, he does a lot of stuff on, on faith and spirituality. And his son, his name is Merlin, which is great. He's got a son named Merlin <laughs> and everyone, Merlin Cosmo. Sheldrake. Cosmo. Cosmo and Merlin are his two sons, right? I love it. I love it. And, and his, his one son, uh, i got to pull this off. His one son just came out with a book called The Entangled Life. Uh, how fungi make our worlds, change our minds, and shape our futures. Merlin Sheldrake, uh, and it's uh, you know it's it's the the forward are, is by people like uh, you know Paul Stamets and these other kind of things. And it's it's a it's a beautiful book, really about about fungi. But his dad, Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah, okay, back. To yeah, Rupert, sorry. Man. Yeah. So Rupert has this uh, has this idea, and that he kind of puts forward um, about psychedelics. And he said, "Hey, it's just a theory." I'm just looking at the history, both archaeological, uh, I'm a religious person, so I'm an Anglican, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Christ, uh, as a, a person who is a divine being who has been enlightened. And he says, um, so his argument is this, and it's, it makes me smile, that as I started researching, I thought, oh, that's an interesting concept, so let me let me okay, okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So his, his theory is this. He says, um, as we look at in, in the time of Christ, there is a whole bunch of sects that are running around. S-E-C-T-S. Yeah, S-E-C-T-S. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Groups of people that are using a practice um, that you can, you can find, just Google this, fine, but they're using near-death experiences uh, at, at, through forcing people underwater until they almost lose consciousness and they bring them back. Okay. <laughs> and it's, they call it baptism. And so his, okay, yeah, let me, let me track with this. I love your face where you're like, what are you talking about? His theory is that John the Baptist would have known about some of these and that, he, that John the Baptist experienced an, an, a near-death experience 
where he came to the end underwater where his and he says and by the way just this, this is people, all a theory people believe yeah. that near death experiences are parallel and tandem out to psychedelic experiences it's exactly just, just so you know, yes I, okay. it's coming to this ego death of realizing oh my goodness I'm going to die my life is over and you have this moment where in essence your life flashes before you we, we've heard these kinds of things before definitely and people make sense of their life and going okay and then they come back and they're like oh I'm back Okay, I'm going to live differently now. Like, that was an amazing, I will never... Transformative. I, I, I saw death, and I was resurrected again. And then that pattern of death and resurrection, as seen in the practice of baptism. Baptism isn't just dunking someone underwater. What's magical about that? His argument is that for you can for about 400 years, there was this practice really of giving people really an almost near-death experience to, to erase their ego from them. And in this moment of coming back, they realize my ego's done. I'm not scared of death anymore. It no longer has this anxiety producing fear and death has now been erased in my mind, in my life. And he argues that John the Baptist baptized Jesus and when Jesus came out of the water, he had this divine experience where the dove came down and a symbol of the Holy Spirit came being full of the divine presence. He opened up to the entire wisdom of the universe. Entire, in and he had access into this in, in this psychedelic space then he goes out, or what does he do after that? He goes into the desert for 40 days without food. And again, it's another experience of the body going into this almost like death state where you're, 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 you're not using food and you're in this med meditative state, which we now study uh, people like uh, ancient Hindus and Buddhist meditators that can go weeks without food. Their metabolism shows, slows down and they're having these massive visual experiences. Wow, you're blowing my mind. Yeah. He says, this is, what, this is what he believes happened to Jesus, that Jesus comes back from these 40 days and begins to start teaching. And he's drawing from this deep ancient wisdom. He had these psychedelic experiences, and now he begins okay, to okay, teach. Okay, okay, okay. So let me just... Fast! Uh, Rupert okay, Sheldrake! Okay, but let me ask you okay, this. Okay. So is the idea then... Yes. Is the idea then, how about instead of drowning people it, almost, because yes. no doubt some people died. Lots that, of people died. Right? It's a very risky yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, it's very risky. Why don't we just give them psychedelics? That's right. So the baptism for Rupert Sheldrake is the new sacrament should be, you should have an experience where you're confronted with your own mortality in such a way that, that the idea of your own death or whatever that might mean is finally eradicated. That it's in the dying that we find life. And this is all the teachings of Christ, right? I mean, it's, in, it's the death and resurrection theme that is, that is the most powerful theme both for Christ and for Paul. I want to be real clear. What we're yeah. not saying is go have a near-death experience. No. But I'm saying, you are saying that's the best they could do. That's the best they could do. <clears throat> now, um, so anyways, all, why do I tell that huge story? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. it's very fascinating. It story. is fascinating. And, and I, I think we're learning so much about the power of these altered states that I... Have you, what, no, I yeah. think what you're saying, maybe not yeah. but I, what I'm hearing, Peg, is you're saying... Okay, Christians, don't think that you're also not an indigenous-based mm -hmm. right. religion, yeah. right? We, we might be able to go into some of the core sacraments of mm -hmm. our own yeah. religion, like baptism, and say, we're kind of talking the same thing. Yeah. In, but instead of using you know, some sort of uh, plant-based medicine, 
we're still inducing a psycho uh, a psychedelic state mm-hmm. that accomplishes all the same things. Yeah, it gives you. So let, let's just let's just posit that Sheldrake's idea might be true. One in a million chance. I don't know. What a, his research is pretty solid. It's really fascinating. It's worth talking about. Yeah. That's interesting. So to me. so I'm saying. If where we started with this, which is like places like Imperial College and, and uh, Johns Hopkins, that they're saying that when you can get people to this state right. of this mystical spiritual experience, 100% of the time, their life changes. Right. Sheldrake is saying, what if you could do that with, with psychedelics or baptism? What if Christ had that 100% experience of a divine encounter that literally changed his life? Mm. And now he was speaking and he began to internalize that in ways that maybe five or six people on the planet have ever been able to do. He becomes a master, becomes a teacher of this way of living. And yes, you know, it's, that's I, a fascinating okay, my, my brain is, you, you don't drop bombs like that in my brain and don't think I'm not going to think about mm. it for a little bit. Because I'm just thinking, one of the, one of the, the I think Bill Richards talks about there's six normative yes, yes. kind of oh, things that, that? that people experience. And yes. one of them, Peg, is a sense of connection to everything. Yes, a right? divine. Right, yes, not so. Yes, yes. What, what was what was the thing that we built Nexus on more than any other core idea? Inclusion. Yeah. Right. We said we're we're no longer saying that that we're saying everybody. There's no them and us. There's no them and us. We're all the human race. We're the family of yes, God. Yes. We're all one big body of mm-hmm. human beings. Okay. And one of the consistent pieces of a, a psychedelic experience is a sense of oh my god i'm this i'm i'm connected to every. not just every other human on this planet i'm connected to all life forms on this mm-hmm. planet yeah i mean we're different we've got yeah. distinction but we're we're also connected yes right yes. and that and connection is what you know there's this book um what's the one that called the scream or something about the um it's it's like not the scream, but it's about a um, it's about addiction, I think. Um, oh, chasing the scream, chasing the scream. Ch- chasing the oh, scream. the guy that the guy that uh, yeah 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 the, the, he's done a TED talk yep, all on yep. addictions. Yep. That the, op- the opposite of, of addiction, addiction is, is connection. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chasing the scream. So yeah. in, in it, he argues that simply they can tell from the title, right? Um, that the opposite of the opposite of addiction is connection, right? And so we know this from Gabor Mate's work. We've seen this. So what what we're what our culture is rat is, park is, rat park is all yes, about that. I know we can we can talk about that and an, an addiction right. But what what these authors and what these thinkers are are, are are basically giving us is to say are the malaise of our culture, the anxiety that we see, the depression, the the trauma, the sexual abuse, all this stuff is at the core of it. It's about disconnection. Yes, I fully agree with that. And 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 along along. Along comes, uh, you know, this research that is opening up this ancient, these ancient medicines that allow for connection. These are entheogens. They're empathogens. They, they create bond and connection. They open up oxytocin. They create bonding between, like in the same kind of level of a, as a mother nursing a child. That The oxytocin in our brain that gets produced in those moments that's what gets produced during these psychedelic experiences. They are a bonding, uh, uh, a bonding medicine. We begin to get connected with ourselves. We be connected with our planet. We be get connected with each other. I can't think of any other, you know, substance on our on our planet that is, that we need to study and understand more than these psychedelic plants that right. have the potential to heal our world. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, 
I think maybe next time let's talk yeah. about the Bill Richards thing. Maybe yeah. I mean Bill's an old guy, and you know mm. he's he's uh, uh, he's done so much, and we we honor Bill so much. And you had the privilege of interviewing him. Mm. But this book, Sacred Knowledge, is really interesting because I'll tell you, for me, one of the most compelling pieces is is that people that have psychedelic experiences all kind of have a very unique experience, yeah. but kind of the same experience yeah and that's oh, like, there's like i think i maybe referenced this last time he, i he he made reference to a study that they just finished um at at johns hopkins where yeah. they take 30 different religious leaders now these aren't just like i'm a practicer these are imams pastors evangelical pastors catholic eastern orthodox muslim rabbis rabbis right and they found that it took them about a year to get people that were willing and they said, we want you to come and participate in a study. What would it be like to take 30 religious leaders at the top of their game and give them a psychedelic experience using psilocybin, a high-dose psilocybin? What would their outcome? Will they see a sense of divine according to the pattern that their brain has right. formed? Right. I eat. Well, I'm going to see Jesus. The Jew is going to see, you know, uh, you know, Yahweh. Right. Yahweh, yeah. right? Exactly. The, you know, I'll see Muhammad, and I'm going to see this, and I'm going to see Shiva, and I'm going to see whatever. Right. These preconceived patterns that we've already put in our brain that obviously you'll default to them, but they were interested in how that would be formed. Right. How how would that come out? And then we're interested in the dialogue that will happen after that. So I, I got Bill talking about this, and he was all excited, like, you're not going to believe our findings. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And he goes, we're publishing it. We, I got to give me, they, they promise I can't go public with what our findings Whoa. are. I said, Bill, you, you can't, can't do that. You, you can't, can't do that do to, this me. to me. I mean, you're telling me it's unbelievable. And he goes, just give me six weeks. And I'm like, what? So this should be coming out November. Uh, of this year, their their findings on this stuff. I mean, he gave me he gave me a little. Okay, bit. can you without revealing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take it it's good. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And he says, you know, it, it actually. No, no, was, you don't have to like violate your promise. No, no, no. I, he didn't. He didn't tell me. He just told me. He says this is what we are saying so far about the study. Okay, it blew our it blew us away that these these people who came from these traditions were able to have an experience that there was a unifying theme through all of them and they all I changed it. i knew it they all shifted into I their openness this. toward everyone else's experience I, of course it of course it did and you're like what okay i'll tell you this yeah. i mean that i get goosebumps hearing that i love my christian symbols mm-hmm. i do i love i love everything about my christianity mm-hmm. because it's what i know right it's how it's how i can that how the divine life can make sense yeah. makes sense to me yeah right but we have to go full stop mm-hmm. when we say mine is the only way you can understand right, the divine. Right, Mine's the only, well, we do it. Come on, don't, yeah, you know, know obviously do, yeah. that's where we get goofy as a as a as a. Faith. These symbols but, are the only symbols. But if you could say, well, what if we took folks who are are almost by definition like the hardcore yes, people? Yes. They're the ones that are going to yeah. be the most territorial. Yes. they're going to say like, I'm in, you're out. Yes. You got to do it my way. It would be these people. And they 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 didn't get liberals on this. Not like no, we believe always are right. They actually were looking for people who said. I think that ours is a little bit better. And here's yeah, why. Yeah, 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 they were yeah, yeah. looking for, can we shift that? Yeah. And then I can see why it would so take a year to find those pieces. Because oh, yeah. those very same people have to be open-minded enough to say, okay, anyways, we need to be done. Yeah. So anyways, we got lots more to talk about. But thank you so much for tuning in. I know that was abrupt, but we're just running out here. Thank you so much for tuning in again to Dave and Peg Podcast Unveiled. Uh, next time, we'll continue our journey in this topic. And uh, I absolutely love it. Cool this. conversation. So fun. Audio